I think I think we're good. Uh, we're yes, I'm hearing notifications. Yeah. I'm pulling up a monitor now. Discord's uh, going like crazy. Discord is going crazy. Uh, hi everybody, we are live uh, now. Welcome to the pre-show, Grim. Pre pre-show, Graham. Is that a thing? It, it is, is now. now. Anyway, good good evening. Well, actually, good morning. We've, we've good morning to you. It is we once again another another early early morning for you, late night. Uh, but at least we're in, the same you... month. we're in the same month this time. We are we are in the same month. You are right. Yes. How, uh, you've you've been in October for a whole what like uh, day more eight hours eight more <laughs> yeah. hours than I have. Um, uh, tonight. Uh, we are, you may have noticed, there is a um, a third screen up here, and we're currently testing out some things, and I am going to actually go a step further here, uh, and I, I realize that um, perhaps maybe this doesn't look as good as I wanted it to, and I'm going to do an iteration three. So before we went live... We actually did an iteration two and an iteration one of uh, this little layout number here that you see. Uh, and I'm going to do an iteration three right now. And you, you can all join me for that because I'm I'm unhappy and I'm uh, I'm unhappy with the original result. Uh, you're not a perfectionist, but you're pretty much being a perfectionist, aren't you? That's that's uh, what I'm saying here. Uh, so so what I'm changing in iteration three here. So I am now going to extend these down and well, maybe not extend them down, but I feel like having them center to the bottom person might be a better call, right? So something like that. Oh, did that just duplicate everything or am I going crazy? I think, oh wait, cause yeah, it's still left over there. That's why. Um, yeah, so, so if I delete that, right? It's hard to visualize without uh, without <laughs> with this other one in the way here. Um, yes, because it's yeah. Anyway, oh, screenshot and throw that in the background. Yeah, yeah, okay. exactly. It's just a screenshot back there. It's uh, so I feel like that would probably work best. Looks like there's equidistant. Uh, so if I do this now and I uh, download this as another ping and we'll come over here. So I'm back now on Restream and we're going to just do this guy and we're going to see if that works. Uh, there we go. I think that works out well. Yeah, we'll stick with that. That's pretty cool. If I wanted to get fancy with it, I guess what I could do is, you know, make it like connect at the top or uh i don't know do something fun with it but i think that works for now it does that works for now but since it's just you and i we're gonna do this and we're gonna go back to this guy i was gonna say that <laughs> <laughs> um that much lo looks much cleaner for now so we'll go with that uh hi everybody watching uh we are going to be talking about a news story tonight uh that uh, is of great interest to me i really like this story um, it's a new augmented reality applications assist astronaut repairs to the space station. 
So, do you like this just because it's you know because of the um, the type of technology that's involved, or is it just because it's space? Neither. Uh, well, okay. both all of the above and more. Uh, the, all of the above, and they're not my primary reason for loving the story. I think the the primary reason I love the story is because of the um, the training aspect of, or not the training aspect of it, the the uh, maintenance and repair aspect of it uh, using the technology. So if you want to go that far, that's kind of what I'm looking at. Um, is is that aspect of it? Uh, See, I, I'm just geek for anything to do with space. If I'm honest. Oh, uh, perfect. And yeah. space oriented. I'm just, I, I just get excited. Just the way I am. Uh, yeah. Space. I'm not going to apologize for it. Don't, don't apologize. Space <laughs> is cool. uh, let's see here. I'm going to write can AR assist repairs in space. If you're watching live, uh, the answer is yes. We'll get to it. But um, we always have to have what it's, it's not necessarily a clickbaity title. It's a, what is that title? It's like, it's not misleading. It's, um, it's a question that you want answered. Uh... Oh shoot! Did I tell him the wrong time? Oh shoot! Uh -huh. I must have. I think there might be a summertime issue. I think that's probably it. Uh, let's see here. Do they have some time over there? This is the problem when you try to do do like not just um, global low, yeah. global broadcasting. Yeah, it's it's really wild, right? Uh, I have to, yeah, I have to like keep track of all these different time zones. I think we talked about it what last week or something. Yeah, um, with all the different exactly. responsibilities. I think I probably need to put because I've now got on my phone. I've got the two. I've got UK time. I've got because uh, you're uh, Pacific time. Pacific, and, yeah. And, and then we'll now need Australian time as well. I feel the need to maybe have something in the in my um, the office where I'm at. You know, where where you have all the different clocks with the uh, with the labels on about where you're at. Um, just to because I could. Uh, all right, I'm going to look up some it came froms this week. Uh, and, and hopefully our, our special guest uh, will will be okay with answering them. Um, she was on for the pre-show. I think that's that's usually kind of a good litmus to, to tell if somebody's okay with answering some of these questions. Uh, but we'll we'll pick some pretty generic ones here. Let's see. So uh, we have some in the bank here. I think we talked about these last week. Um, we did some of them. We want to keep for actual big stories. I think. So, yeah. Um, I mean, this this one kind of goes along with this story. This uh, what's the future, digital or AR? Um, I yes. think that could be a good one to include here. You know, kind of like a AR VR package. Um, there was the. A couple of are in the um, in the feed. Which I yeah, was quite interesting. there's there's two or three that all sit around the difference between being a contractor and being a full time employee. Yeah, I like that one. Let's see. Let's do. Uh, let me see here. I have so many. 
I've tried to keep the lab uh, <laughs> Discord from expanding too much beyond just a couple channels, and it has. It, it, we were working on so many things that <laughs> load up everywhere. Yeah, um, but there's uh, the there's the one called Contracting Blues, and there was another one that was close to it. Um, anyone do freelance this. independent contractor work long term uh, that one's kind of uh, contracting uh, yeah they're like right next to each other right yeah yeah oh yeah so yeah no there is that one that one and there is one about three above it contract versus permanent positions you do one or the other um, yeah you know I, I I think there's there's three agreements on that one let's let's talk about that one the contract versus permanent positions. Uh, when I say agreements, we have like uh, a little uh, response options in our Discord that we use to. Uh, what I'm looking for here, we use to Downstairs. identify and and figure out which ones we want to talk about. Um, and that one, that one looks like we're all in agreement that we should talk about it. So let's do that one. Yeah. Uh, Did you look at the the one that titled "Worst Design Ever"? I did. Did you actually look at the website? I did. It, it was. I. I still. It's still. I mean, useless for a podcast because it, it is a very visual um, thing. But I've never seen anything like quite like it. Um, yeah, I. I that was don't... different. Look, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's. I get where they're coming from. I see. I don't. I mean, I just saw it as a piece of performance art, and I don't get art. So no, it's... no, no. I, I get where they're coming from and saying that this is the worst UI ever. However, this to me is a spreadsheet that somebody converted into a website, and yep. I I think it serves a very specific purpose. I don't understand the context behind it, and so I don't know how it's being used. Uh, you know, you might have somebody with this up over five monitors stretched out, and I think you're giving them a lot of um, kudos and, and depth into what they've done. I think it's just, from what I've read about it, it is literally just, it's a sort of piece of statement art of of what a website could be. It doesn't help mm. that it's in German. I don't speak German um, or don't read German, um, so there's only so that that was a bit of a struggle as well. But I thought it. If, if on a purely, if you had a uh, more, I mean, obviously we could bring it up on here, but it's um, yeah, it was interesting to uh, to look at. Yeah, uh, let's see here. So and we have taken you off uh, off track. That's okay. Mm -hmm. Let's let's pick out two more of these things here. So uh, we have I, we have some agreement on this other one here. Um, beginner UX projects, right? Um, I think that one's a, a pretty good one uh, about thought process of like, how do you yeah. do you think about a problem first or do you go research things that are existing or um, it, it's kind of like strategy. How do you approach a product? Uh, yeah, and it's also, but it's about developing your portfolio because clearly that, with that one, the hang on a client, they just want to show that they've got skills and develop skills. So... Yeah, it's um, so they want to yeah. take almost any product and solve their own pain point. Um, it's easy to find somebody else to pay you to do work. 
Yeah, that could be a good one. Um, let's let's pull that one in just for now. Yeah. And if yeah. we find another one that we like better, we can always add that to the bank uh, below. And it was a really yes. quick one. I thought the does it matter if your letter of recommendation is designed is signed by a postdoc versus a professor? Um, Ooh. I, I thought I said that would be vaguely interesting. Remember, we had the one that came that we talked about last week when the um, the, the interviewee didn't work, couldn't work out why they didn't get the job. Yeah, um, and it was very kind of a simplistic answer. I think this falls into the same sort of vein, as in, does it really matter? Um, as in, I don't think it really matters. It's, no, I mean, no reference. I mean, we could we could answer that even in the pre-show. I think for for. For letters of rec, that to me is more of like a getting into grad school, getting into higher education type of deal. I don't think, I don't think a lot of, uh, I don't think it matters in industry as much. Uh, where letters of rec are, are more like a phone call from one person to another to say, "Hey, how does this person work?" Uh, is this person know? actually real? Yeah. Um, this is, yeah. Stuff, yeah. Um. It's interesting, though, isn't it? I mean, the amount of times with a few people I've um, taken on recently, I think there's the past couple I've never actually followed up on the references. I've just been very much of the, you know, these guys are brilliant and um, I really like them. I like their attitude and all that sort of stuff. Um, and they exist on LinkedIn. So, that yeah, kind of that's that's always kind of the, the key, right? If they exist on LinkedIn, then they exist. <laughs> yes. So, <laughs> uh, uh, looking on Facebook and, and Twitter to see what, what they truly say, whether they're clever enough to lock their stuff down or not. Yeah, what if we did? Key tip to everybody, lock down your Facebook before you apply for a job. Oh, yeah. Oh, certainly. Uh, and I don't care how clean you think your Facebook is. It's not as yes. clean as you think it is. <laughs> oh, yeah. Lock it down. Um, and then keep it locked down. Let's just be honest here. Uh, I keep accident for some with this some of the things that um i post sometimes i keep mine keeps on opening up and um because the the way that the permissions work so i'm, I'm gonna have that's one of the reasons i spent this week opening up so, uh, creating some of the um social media channels that you saw that i created for yeah um for the my other podcast and um and that was part of the reason was to start segregating some of that stuff off so my my personal facebook doesn't keep on opening up to it the entire world yep that's that's uh <laughs> that's why we kept our separate and because both Blake and I manage some of the stuff behind the scenes here uh, it gives us kind of anonym an anonymous wow that would, yes why can't I say it uh, anyway it gives <laughs> us it, it keeps us anonymous in terms of you know if we post something on on Reddit or if we post something on Twitter you can't really tell who did it so there's like uh, a minimal embarrassment and it kind of encourage us to keep engaging uh, yeah 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 no good show. which is uh you know we can kind of be cheeky with the uh, with the responses sometimes. Um, what about uh, this? I, I like this one. What about how to put school company HCI projects on LinkedIn? Uh, yeah. Because this is like a partnership with actual companies. Uh, and it's it's basically talking about how do you showcase work that you can't necessarily t like you know if you're under nda or um private portfolio stuff you know i i think there's uh especially in a project where perhaps you are um working in a classroom setting it might be different and so 
yeah. this could be a fun one to answer. How do you feel about yeah. it? Yeah, let's go for it because it, it, it highlights the there's a difference between just putting up a school project um, or a college project that's been set by uh, by Electra and something that is actually being set right. by a company that you're engaging with. So um, as long as you get agreement from them, then that's all good. Yeah. Now I can't understand why the first couple that I posted on here were like white text and then the next one or carried over the anyway. I'm I'm going crazy is what I'm trying to describe here. Uh okay, that works. Okay, so I think we have our uh, little it came from uh do we have anybody in the waiting room? Doesn't look like it yet. I think he's speeding home as fast as he possibly can. I think so. I messed up the time. Look, folks, you get some right, you get some wrong. <laughs> <laughs> that was a wrong call. We, uh, at, least, at least we know for next time. We do know for next time. It's an hour separated. Um, okay. So we got some good stories there. Um... Have you got your one more thing? Yes, yep. I do. Have you seen that? I've seen the first two episodes, I think. Okay. Um, I'll be careful with how I talk about it. Um, yeah, no, it, it's like, it's not one of these things that I put on in the TV in the in the background. So I, I watched the first couple, and I thought it was was it even just the first episode? It might have been. And um, I was like, actually, this is. Some things I have on the background just to work with, and not. And I was like, actually, this need, this needs me to sit down and watch it. It demands attention. Yeah. Demand, yes. So that's why I sort of stopped watching it after that episode, and then I need to sit down with it and watch it properly. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah, you can miss a lot of context if you're not reading the subtitles, uh, or even if you have it dubbed. I know the translation isn't as good as the subtitles. I was going to say because I was doing the dubbed version, so. Um, yeah, so uh, I would highly recommend watching it uh, with Korean language uh, selected and English subtitle, English English subtitles, not closed caption. You don't want cl English closed caption. You want English subtitles because that translation is better and more true. Okay. Even though, even though, it's still not enough to. I feel <laughs> I feel like we're kind of spoiling my one more thing, but that's okay. Even though that. Um, that translation to English isn't uh, nearly doesn't do the story enough justice, I guess yeah. is, is what I'm yeah. saying. So, uh, you know, there's a reason that it is a worldwide phenomenon right now. Yeah. No, it's, um, I, th I thought I'd, I thought I'd stumbled upon something quite, uh, quite unique. And then you realize that everybody else is watching it as well. Yeah. But, uh, See, I, I mean, oh. we'll, we'll talk about it. It's my, we'll talk about it later. <laughs> <laughs> Again, uh, I, I do hope our, our third guest comes along because I want to talk about their their one more thing because that sounds really cool. Um, yeah, I do hope so too. Um, uh, but, but, but I was going to say something. So we got about 10 minutes here. Uh, I think our show notes are good. We're good to go there. Um, if you're joining us, wherever you're watching, uh, give us a little comment. Let us know you're watching. Um, we always like hearing from you. And uh, especially, I will say, especially if you have been at HFES this week, 
uh, say hello and let us know how HFES was. I was I was really bummed that I couldn't be there in person. Uh, Blake is bummed that he couldn't be there in person. Uh, we did have a member from our lab go, so we'll uh, hopefully get a report from her. Uh, and you know we'll be catching up with some other folks, uh, hopefully about the in-person event, and we'll do some coverage around the digital event um, later this month. But that's kind of in the show notes too, so I don't know why I'm saying it now. Just cool. kind of. Uh, oh, hey, uh, in the show notes here under flow, uh, I feel like I should probably bold that and increase the size just so that way it's not missed. Uh, I did put um, kind of uh, human factors issues in space and the ones that are highlighted, I feel like we can kind of spend a little bit more time on since uh, the key bits, I, yeah. they are kind of uh, more applicable to this specific problem space yeah i'll do that okay um maintenance yeah the i i put in a bit at the article discussion because the second article that i sourced you see under article discussion basically i put the the hololens isn't new it actually went up in 2015 which i thought was quite interesting um is that so um, i wonder i've been trying to work out what the actual difference is um, I feel that this went up and basically this new project is different, but it's worth, I think it's just worth, um, for completeness, um, highlighting that they've been trying to do this for a while. Yeah, maybe. Uh, well, this, this is kind of kicking off their new T2AR project, right? Yeah. Um, what does T2 stand for? Um, it's important context. Oh, it is. Let, oh, I've got closed the actual thing up there. Oh, there we go. Let's bring that back. Um, T2AR. I have no idea. Google that. Yeah, I can't. Yeah, and I know we've we've done an interview uh, with the person who won the Human Factors Prize from HFES uh, back in 2018, Adam Brawley. He okay. he, did, he did some research uh, using the HoloLens and ISS. So like, you know, we, we have an interview on it. Uh, That's cool. I, I also, yeah, I don't know what, <laughs> what the difference is here. I just saw it and was like, oh yeah, that's kind of cool. It's right up our alley. I didn't stop to think about, wait, have I seen this before? <laughs> yeah. I, it was just because I, I, again, I was just searching around it and just to get some contact. And then, um, yeah. I think this is so the the original one was doing the basically tethered to the ground station effectively um in that remote expert mode again that procedure mode just sounds so similar it does i'm i'm sure there are some nuances there'll, there'll there. be some there'll be, there'll be some key differences um no doubt uh, or maybe it's just because this is for purely for internal maintenance as opposed to um, 
asks. I, I wonder if they have to like go through some certification stuff or whatever before they can actually approve it for maintenance tasks. So I think that the the original sidekick was to do the um, was to do procedures on on actual deliver operating the machinery itself. And so oh, this is maintenance on that machine. This okay. is so this is the new thing, right? Right. Okay. That feels better. <laughs> that, I, I like that much more. Uh, okay. Yes. I, I feel good now. Uh, yeah. um, okay. Is it worth putting that link to your previous interview in the show notes? I will. Um, yeah. yeah. Cool. I, I'll, I'll put it at the tail end. I, I usually uh, link all those things together at the very end. Uh, putting... School projects on LinkedIn. Uh, I just got a text here. What is that? Is that? No, that was a Discord from. Oh, bots. Yeah. I don't know why a bot goes off twice. One bot is certainly faster than the other. I think it's the restream bot that's. No, it's if that's fat. Really? No, that's, if this and that, yeah. That one. Um, oh, restream. Okay, I have like three bots going on that do the what? Okay, you got one switch, one on restream, one on. <laughs> You're all over it like a rash. Yeah, uh, Twitch, restream, and uh, and ift. I need to cut that down because I feel like that's spammy. I hate I hate being spammy. Um, ten. The difference between yeah. contracted and just finishing up some of these show notes here. Difference between contracted and permanent position and V, which is which is uh, beginner UX projects. What was that one about? I forget. Uh, it was. I was going to say. What was uh, that one? In the company um, school joint, being able to put put them into your portfolio, where to put them on LinkedIn. Mm, that was the first one. Oh, that was the first one. No, um, yeah. The... How, how do they start the first UX project? Um, oh, how do you and how you how you start a, a new project? Yeah, do... and approaches to starting a new project to improve their own skills. I think that's important because it, it's not just a project. It's they, they want to just yeah. use them to improve their own skills. Yeah. So, so, uh, for context, I've, um, listeners can't see this and viewers can't see this right now in the show notes, uh, because they're a mess. Honestly, that's why we don't show them. Um, but they get the job. Process. They get the job done. Uh, but I, I, I've started doing this uh, because when we go through and do the promotion for the show, you know, it's like, hey, check out our latest episode. It's augmented reality in space for repairs. Blah, blah, blah. Tag everybody. And then these three here, right, putting school projects on LinkedIn, the difference between contracted and permanent positions and approaches to starting a new project to improve skills. I started putting those questions that we answer into the tweet or the post or whatever to generate more interest. If they're not interested in the main story, you might be interested in those, and so this is a way for me to concisely um, summarize what those are and kind of what we talk about, and uh, this is the first time doing it. So, anyway. Your level of organization is amazing. Well done. I we'll like see that. how we get through it. 
you're better than me when considering one of the reasons I didn't do dive into the show notes as, as early as I did in the previous two weeks is that I forgot that I was doing an interview tomorrow afternoon. <laughs> and so I was like, ah, I better put, because I got a message from them, are you going to send us a question? So, uh, oh, yes, yes, I am. Yeah, that. Quick little question. But in that regard, you are much more prepared than we are because when we when we do interviews, it's very much like boilerplate questions and we say that the conversation can go off the rails. Like we say, you know, hey, what, generally with like our conference coverage stuff, we say like, what brings you here? Like, what are you yeah, presenting yeah. on? Uh, what's your background? And then we jump into what, uh, you know, whatever we're talking to them about, whether it be, you know, a specific panel that they were on or if it's... Uh, I don't know, like an organization that they represent or something. We talk about that thing. Uh, and it's, um, I think the only time we really spent a lot of time preparing questions was when we did uh, interviews for HFES president candidates, right? When we talked to Chris right, Reed exactly. and uh, uh, Camille Perez or Paris. Um, and, and, uh, and, we 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 wanted to ask them really hard questions, uh, <laughs> and we did. Oh well, and done. and we were like, hey, you know, uh, these, these questions are going to be really, um, like, you know, we asked them uh, uh, questions about like diversity and representation and human factors. And this was right around all the George Floyd protests, and so it was right. like yeah. it's like pressing society leaders on on some pressing topics that people wanted to hear about and it was the first time where i was like oh these are good questions <laughs> brilliant no i do tend to give i tend to lay out a sort of a rough structure and particularly with i tend to have five questions that that sort of fits and they we can then spool off them you know but it at least gives them um you know, because I'm not after I'm not I'm not an investigative journalist or anything like that. It's just uh, um, gives us a rough structure to to uh, riff off, really. So, um, yeah, well, so it, it, it kind of works for me. I just feel it's sometimes it's a bit fairer on them that I'm not going to um, um, not going to drop them in it. And also, if they, if they know what's coming, then I don't need to uh, do, do much too uh, too much post processing. Um, so. Oh, no. Yeah, it looks like Mateo is not going to be on. Um, okay. We'll, uh, that's, that's disappointing. Yeah. You just have to make do with me then. I, I, I think it'll, it'll still be a great show and, well, uh, we'll, you will be. we'll get to it and, uh, we'll get through it. So, uh, for everyone watching, we're going to be right back in just one minute and, uh, we'll, we'll go ahead and start this show thing. Uh, okay, here we go. We're going to press the button now, and we'll be back in a minute. Welcome to Human Factors Cast, your weekly podcast for human factors, psychology, and design. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It is episode 221. We are recording this live on October 7th, 2021. This is Human Factors Cast. I'm your host, Nick Rome. I'm joined today again by Mr. Barry Kirby. Hello, good morning, as it is in the UK. And thank you for having me on yet again. Surely you've got to get again. sick of this soon. 
<laughs> I'm not getting sicky. I love having you on the show. Uh, speaking of the show, we got a great show for you tonight. We're going to be talking about using augmented reality in space for repairs. And later, we're going to answer some questions from the community about putting school projects on LinkedIn, the difference between contracted and permanent positions, and approaches to starting a new project to in- improve some skills. But first, uh, just to go over some uh, programming notes or community updates. Uh, this one's an exciting one for me. Uh, we now have Human Factors Minute available outside of Patreon for the first time ever. Um, now you can get Human Factors Minute in Spotify. We have all 84 episodes there available for you. And if you're unaware, Human Factors Minute is uh, a separate podcast that we do that breaks down little chunks of human factors and one little minute bits so you can uh, get your kind of human factors fix for supporting the show. Uh, we'll update that on Spotify with the same cadence as our patrons. Of course, you could always pay one penny more and get access to uh, Patreon stuff like Patrons Choose the News, our weekly Q&As, our full audio versions of the podcast, which include a pre and post show we do every week. Uh, I'll put a link to the Human Factors Minute and Spotify in the description of this episode, and Patreon is also down there. Uh, also, for programming notes, uh, HFES 2021 was this year. Um, we usually pick up a lot of folks around conferences, and so just want to welcome everyone who might be new to the show. Welcome all you new listeners. Uh, if you were at the event, uh, we'd love to hear from you to kind of hear about your experience the first time in person since 20. 19. Uh, so, you know, uh, go to our website, leave a voicemail there. There's a little microphone in the bottom right hand corner, or you can go to, you know, we'll leave a link in the description for a voicemail. Um, we're going to do coverage on HFES 2021 a little later this month. Uh, there's a virtual, there's an in-person session, which happened this week. And then there's a virtual session that's happening a little later out in the month. And we're going to try to do our conference coverage, uh, to cover both sides of things. We have, uh, some folks from our lab that went in person. Uh, we know some people that went so we can kind of get in touch with them and see how it was like uh, boots on the ground, so to speak. And then kind of from the uh, from the perspective of the virtual event, which I, I will be at. Uh, but with that, uh, I think it's time that we get into. Human Factors News. Yes, this is the part of the show where we talk about everything related to the field of human factors. Barry, what's our news story this week? So this week we talked about the new aug- uh, new augmented reality applications that assist astronauts repair the space station. So often communication delays between the ISS and the ground are nearly unnoticeable. But as NASA prepares to explore the moon and eventually Mars, NASA is developing tools to increase astronaut autonomy to operate the spacecraft or systems without assistance because communication delays from the Earth will last longer. So the T2 Augmented Reality, T2AR, project demonstrates how uh, station crew members can inspect and maintain scientific and exercise equipment critical to maintaining crew health and achieving research goals without assistance from ground teams. Astronauts in this case were tasked with maintenance for one of the space station's crew pieces of exercise equipment, the T2 treadmill. The inspection procedure is typically available as a PDF document accessed on a computer or a tablet, which can be hard to hold whilst operating tools or flashlights or examining equipment in tight spaces. This time, no extra handheld instructions or communications with the ground teams were necessary, since all information was in plain sight. They were utilising Microsoft HoloLens augmented reality goggles, which had step-by-step guidance and cues to assist the work without referring to a separate screen. 
These are made available uh, for them to use. And this project kicks off in April 2022. So what do you think about that? I love any story that has to deal with augmented reality. I also love stories that involve space, and this is a perfect kind of confluence of them. Uh, so there's a lot of things to love about this article, and I think we'll we'll break it all down. Um, you know, I think we should talk probably about human factors issues in space and which ones apply to this specific context. Uh, maybe some general background on augmented reality. We talk a lot about virtual reality on the show, but I feel like augmented reality mixed reality kind of gets uh kind of the bucket kicked a little bit and and so we'll we'll do that and then we'll get into the discussion but i, I want to get your initial thoughts on this article what do you, what are you thinking so i think it's it's really taking some some of these issues that uh, are going to be really pertinent particularly for the mars for the mars missions that the the really every every film you see every uh, live stream you see from no matter who's launching that that that's link between what goes on in the spacecraft and um, and the ISS and and the ground stations is so interlinked that they procedurally that one can't it seems one can't do anything without the the ground control um, uh, you know give them permission giving them that, uh, that give them that push forward and also checking and rechecking what they do because it is a safety critical environment you make a mistake there and and that's that's a bad day in the office so to have. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. So having this sort of technology there that that they can they can test, they can um, push together. That's going to give them the right sort of cues to do the right sort of job. And basically, the actors that um, that 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 second set of eyes, effectively making sure that their that the, the procedures are being followed uh, properly and having the right information. That on on the first instance is brilliant. Now it's something. It's not particularly new in a certain that in, in in some respects because there are projects that are going on in you know on earth that uh that are doing some some of that so seeing some of that applied up there is is really really good the second bit is i think really really cool as well using the using that headset and that augmented augmented reality in, in of itself to basically reduce their workload they're not having to hang around with pdf documents a tablet or whatever the information is where they want to where they want it where they need it um, overlaying the, the job that they're doing and therefore freeing up their hands to actually take do the job. So on the on the face of it, you could see that this is actually a really simple thing. But I can see exactly with the way that the the uh, space works that this is going to be a real step change in the way that they they can uh, carry out their missions. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, so so let's let's actually talk about some of the human factors issues in space, just kind of general issues, right? Um, you know, you mentioned it uh, kind of briefly. They're they're dealing, especially with maintenance tasks right now. You know, they have PDF pamphlets that might <laughs> float away from them oh, as they're yeah. trying to do the thing. Uh, and so, you know, thinking about um, basically, so I, I have a list here of of a bunch of different stressors that the human might encounter in space. And there's a couple I think that apply more specifically towards this context. So if you're thinking about like physical stressors, obviously there's there's microgravity, right? You, you have, there's the whole navigation issue of how do you move your body and 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 make sure that it is moving in the way that you want it to in microgravity because it behaves differently than you would, you know, on planet Earth here. Um, and so uh, there's the physical uh, side of it. There's also habitat. You're, you're in this kind of 
environment where you might have vibration, noise, and lighting um, that is distracting in some instances from the tasks at hand, right? And so if you're trying to repair something, you might get distracted by uh, vibration or noise that's happening, um, you know, around you. And and especially because on the ISS, a lot of uh, a lot of astronauts have a set plan of tasks that they need to get through in a certain day. And so they might be working um, in, in closer proximity to you and their task might, you know, it might distract you from yours. Uh, so you have that to deal with. You have the psychological stressors of workload. You mentioned workload, uh, especially when it comes to a repair task, right? Managing uh, uh, sort of what comes next. What did I already do? Where are all the pieces and parts? Uh, and and kind of the cognitive workload of actually putting this thing back together. And then uh, you have interpersonal stressors, which, you know, generally on board the ISS, they they select astronauts that will get along with each other. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, there, there still can be those issues of, you know, uh, personality clashes, culture, lack of privacy, those types of things. And I don't think that necessarily impacts the task at hand so much. But you do have those issues potentially when you're dealing with somebody from mission control. If, you know, perhaps they are seemingly bossy to you and they're just trying to tell you what to do. I mean, you know, uh, thankfully, the vetting process for astronauts is a little bit more rigorous than, uh, you know, getting a cashier at, at, a, at a grocery store. To, you know, <laughs> yeah. so, so there's less probably interpersonal problems that you might deal with on that level, but still something that you have to consider. Uh, physiological stressors. So, you know, vestibular problems, you're moving around in space. Uh, and then you have performance stresses, which I think is, is kind of, um, the big one here. And this is more for things like spacewalks and, yeah. and we can kind of think about maybe what the future of this holds at the end of this, but you know, you have these performance, uh, stressors like disorientation, especially if you're outside, um, you know, there's a big blue marble looking at you and you have the space station, but that's all you have for cues as to whether you're up or down. You have visual illusions going on, uh, attention deficits, psychomotor problems, proneness to error. And so all these are critical, like you said, mission critical when it comes to repairing things on the space station. I'm glad they're starting with something uh, not necessarily unimportant, but not mission critical. They're starting with the treadmill. Uh, any comments on on these stressors in space? Yeah, I think it's. I mean, for me, the two big hitters have to be the um, the microgravity piece and and the workload, because when we're talking about maintenance tasks, so you've you, there's obviously two different types of maintenance. You've got your you know um, just general look keep of, of of something, but then it's repairing something when it goes wrong, and so that inherently gives you a whole lot of stress because generally if something goes wrong, you weren't expecting it to go wrong. You're having to fix something, and yes, the um, the treadmill might not be you know the most um, critical key part of equipment. But if they don't get on the treadmill, um, do their exercises once a day, they lose bone de- bone density, and and so actually it, the the long term consequence of not having such a piece of equipment could be quite key. So actually, if they don't, I, I could just sort of see that having more more stress on you because you're having to de- deal with bits of uh, bits of kit and they'll go on to maintaining more uh, more critical bits of kit that that could give you a, a level of uh, workload and stress that you um, that you weren't anticipating but also microgravity can ha- can play um, 
funny things with you with the amount of force and talk you put into tightening things up and actually could this and i'm 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 asking the question, I don't know the, the, truly the answer, but could this augmented reality give you um, better cues about when things are tightened up enough as opposed to over-tightening things and under-tightening things? Um, and and, and that type, them type of cues to make sure you're, you are taking out the right uh, the right equipment. The the other bit as well is that is it'd be interesting to see how the confirmatory side of it works. So it identifies, right, you need to take off this side panel. You take the side panel off and does it then confirm, confirm with you that um, yes, you've taken off the right side panel. Well done, thumbs up. Um, or a big cross. Have you taken? You've taken off. You, you've unscrewed the wrong screw. Type type of affair. Um, so it'd be interesting to see how in that display they they push them cues towards you um, in a more of a nudge idea. So you, you're the, you're they're nudging you on the on down the checklist as opposed to um, stressing you out by using it. So um, yeah, I, I think I think that side of it's quite exciting. I think. Some of these cues that that you've um, highlighted, we can actually be re- some some of them are really good for highlighting the fact that we should be reducing some of that stress um, as opposed to you know I, I, I do get a bit pessimistic in some things that add stresses, but actually we would, would like to think that you know some of the performance stresses might decrease because you're not having to do quite so much. You don't have to hold three things with only two hands, for example. Yeah. So one more note uh, from Mateo in the chat here. You know, he says that the tasks that these astronauts do are really strictly plans, especially for sleeping, eating, exercise, uh, and especially given sort of the circadian rhythm, uh, sunset, sunrise happening every 90 minutes while you're in orbit. Uh, so these are also things that you have to consider uh, sort of with those physical stressors. Uh, I do, you you kind of um, gave me a perfect segue and then I backed up, but let's talk about the augmented reality side of things, because I think there we there's a lot of things that we can bring in from industry as to what's going on right now or kind of how the industry thinks about using augmented reality as a tool for maintenance and repair. And, um, you know, I think there, there's kind of a couple key pillars here, right? There's identifying uh, equipment or, or sort of bits and pieces of equipment. Um, and then there's also identifying problems with that equipment. And that's kind of, I think, a little bit further down the line here with uh, at least where this specific uh, context is, right? This this on on the ISS. Uh, there's also sort of uh, retrieving that relative relevant um, augmented reality information about those parts and pieces, and then there's sort of the augmentation itself of uh, the the feed that you are seeing through <laughs> through your glasses in real time. There's that part of it. Uh, so, so let's kind of go through these one by one, right? Identifying the equipment and the parts and pieces that need to fit together or come apart in order to fix this thing. Um, so you can imagine, you know, you might give an object a subtle glow as, you know, this piece needs to uh, be removed or this piece needs to be tightened more. Um, and you can use color coding. And as long as that color coding is salient and understood right green means good to go red means it's nowhere near where it should be yellow means you're getting close especially with something like tightening a screw that could be a good application um having augmented reality on your head uh basically augmenting your vision hands-free this is going to uh open up a world of possibilities especially when you think about um sort of access to what needs to happen right uh and and so it it basically makes all this easy hands-free 
this data is readily available at your eyeballs. Um, and, uh, you know, in, in terms of maintenance and repair, uh, th this can really have a large impact. Yeah, right. I mean, the some of the cute things I keep think it could really do is if you've got something with um, you want to make sure that a piece of equipment is is exactly the right one. So it might have its own QR code or its own, you know, its own serial number and the ability for not only for you to check that you've got it, but actually the system could check that for you as well. And, you know, you, you, you show up the QR code, it goes, it does a retrie retrieval te uh, check and it gives you a big green tick to say, yes, it's, it's not only it looks right, but it is actually the right, the right piece of equipment. Um, the, but also, it'd be interesting to see that also um, linked with uh, with audio as well. To see, so if you get the um, um, if if it's not the right piece of kit, you get the big uh uh, um, you know, extra queuing because I, I think in some uh, maintenance tasks you can rely far too much on on just visual cues. So actually bringing some of that together um, would be really useful. But really making sure that you that there's so many errors where so where the wrong piece of kit or the wrong type of kit is um, is installed that this could um, just circumvent so many simple errors, uh, particularly when you know operators are, are tired, they've been working long shifts, um, or rep or repetitive tasks. Um, so there's there's going to be um, a, a huge step change when it, uh, by using augmented reality for for kit identification. Yeah, let's talk. Let's talk briefly about um, displaying that information too, because you can also overlay, perhaps you know, a task list off to the top of of the screen, kind of out of the way that they can reference as like a a progress bar almost. Um, you know, it's a task one: unscrew the panel. Task two: uh, remove the part. Task three: identify the new part. Task four: place the part in and affix. And part five: reattach the panel. And you have kind of this running list of things that you need to do, um, with checkboxes that say, you know, whether or not something is complete. It walk you through each step, and maybe and it expands, and says, you know, hey, here's all the pieces that need to go into this task, right? Subtasks, if you will. Um, so there's there's a, a lot of really cool ways that you can display the information. Um. And, you know, sort of like these tips or scenario steps or like you said, voice guided, those might actually be really helpful for trying to do something that typically was just relied on a PDF or maybe even a conversation on, on a radio with mission control uh, in the past. Right. So I think I think there's a lot of uh, interesting things that they can get from this. Also, you have. Um, you know, you're, you can collect data as well. If there's cameras on board, you can see what worked and what didn't and improve the system over time. Uh, and that's more like the data science side of things. Um, I tend to focus more on the human factors application. How do you sort of display this information? How do you make it efficient for the operator? But I think the data side of things is cool too, right? Using QR codes, understand which parts and pieces you're looking at. Uh, how do you get that data uh, where do you store it at? All that stuff is also problems that you'll have to think about, um, especially in a isolated uh, environment like the ISS and and eventually Mars. Right? You'll need some data storage for all that stuff. Um, the the other really interesting bit about it as well is if we get this right, if this is if this gets right, then actually it reduces the training burden upon the crew themselves because they won't need to train on how to do every little thing. Um, there'll be some obscure things or things that maybe they don't need to do very often or you know, really low risk stuff that they can have a confidence of going up and having a system like this to guide them. Um, so they don't, so they don't, so they'll 
only need to do it when they're actually having to do the task. They don't need to worry too much about overburdening themselves whilst they're on the ground. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, and, and I think that goes for a lot of things, especially um, some of those lesser performed tasks, but maybe mission critical. Yeah. Uh, and, and it could just make the world of a difference when you don't have to train for those things and you just put on the headset and it tells you what to do in the moment. Uh, even even displaying information as simple as like videos uh, with the headset on, that could be, that's like a low form of training uh, or a lower, lower form of, uh, what I would call instructed maintenance, but it's still effective, right? It can still be effective yeah. if you have, if you're able to watch somebody do the task, uh, and then and then actually perform the thing. Uh, you, you know, with w when it comes to AR, right? There's uh, obviously the functionality of overlaying uh, all this information on on our visual system, but basically, you know, they they have all this, uh, they have video communications uh, built into a lot of these devices, right? So, so they could be on the phone with Mission Control. And, and I think you mentioned this earlier, Mission Control can actually be watching what they're doing live and walk them through it. Uh, and they can consult experts live in that moment uh, via a video call. And, and, you know, here in low Earth orbit, that's, that's possible. When it gets to Mars, it's a little less possible because of the, the delay uh, between. But I think you know, you test it close by and then, you know, eventually it'll, it'll work its way out uh, once it's kind of proven itself. Um, I think you mentioned speech to text too, which could also be useful. Yeah, I think anything to enable them to do the sort of that hands-free note-taking, hands-free record-keeping, um, that's all um, really useful because I think it's interesting that the actual the, the use of HoloLens isn't new in the ISS at the moment, and that was one of the things that I think um, confused me in the pre-show was the that they've actually had um, the HoloLens up there since 2015, but that has all been around what they call this sidekick, which one is as you say is the um, is remote expert mode where the ground operator can see what they're doing, and or the the, um, the the second mode which is a procedures mode which allows them to step through critical procedures, but this is but this particular um, it's a, use of it is the first time they've done it for actual maintenance, um, which I think it just shows that we that it's really stepping onto on onto new new territory. It's it's it, they're trying to push the boundaries of where this technology will go, and and as you say, if we are going to get to Mars, which is um, certainly I, if if they want anybody for a Mars mission, I'm definitely front and center, and I'm quite happy to uh, <laughs> to do that just as a small. Um, advert there um not that i'm fit enough light enough or anything like to do it but i'm i'm very keen um but if they if, if you're going to have more and more essentially novices in space um and the ability to get people and potentially civilians who might have to carry out maintenance um or any sort of activities um the only way you can really do that with any sense of um confidence is by having these types of systems so they're going to be they're going to feature massively um, as, as long as this you know the experiments like these that they're doing at the moment proves that they can actually effectively work in the, in that environment. Yeah, those are great points. Uh, and in fact, you you brought up a good one is that the Hololens has been on the International Space Station Space Station since 2015. And in fact, we actually did an interview with one of the Human Factors Prize winners from HFES uh, back in 2018, Adam Brawley. He actually talked us through. Uh, what it means to use the HoloLens on the ISS. So go listen to that interview if you haven't already. Uh, I will say 
you know, taking a step back, let's look at some examples of augmented reality repair and maintenance in industry, right? So you have companies like Bosch uh, repairing automotive vehicles. Uh, and, and some of the metrics around these are really impressive too, right? So you have this 15% fixed time decrease for simple car repairs. Uh, you have Huawei uh, repairing DC to AC solar pa- power inverters. Uh, reporting a significant decrease in technicians' cognitive load and a service time decrease. Um, And, you know, in industry, it's a little bit more uh, challenging because you have sort of these pushback from employees trying to get used to this stuff. But uh, ultimately, it 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 the results kind of show themselves, right? They they have uh, good results here. and, And I think, you know, this is the future and and the ISS is kind of uh, a good test bed for this kind of technology. Yeah, it is. I mean, that the employee resistance, I think, is um, is a really is something we is a hurdle we've got to get over. We've uh, I've encountered that with trying to push new technologies into things like the military domain, in particularly into specialist domains where only a, you've only got a few specialist operators can do job X Y Z. And I think um, you know astronauts just fall into that. You know, it's a very it's a very tight skill. You have to be a very good, you know, fast jet pilot before you go and do it, et cetera, et cetera. And where I've seen some new technologies come in and to make people's lives easier, they they can have a, a reaction to, well, hold on, that very complex job was my job and I'm the only person who knew how to do it. You're putting me out of a job. And actually, where really what we're doing is, no, it, it's, it's not. You know, we're trying to help you do, you know, make, make your job safer. We're trying to free you up to do yet more other things. Um, but sometimes they, you know, you can get that resistance because you think that they're that you're taking away their specialism, their their reason for being. So, yeah, I don't know how much else I have to say about this. I think it's really cool to see, you know, this this move into the maintenance re- repair domain within the ISS and to kind of see it really take off. Uh, pun intended. <laughs> I, do you have any other things to add to this story before we kind of get out of here and and get to the next part? Well, I think the only thing I would say is that if anybody wants us to go and actually go up to the ISS and see this in action, just for the, you know, just to make sure our integrity is is in the story is right, then please do give us a shout because I'm free this weekend. Yeah, perfect. Exactly. We'll uh, we'll take it to space. Uh, I think we got to earn a little bit more Patreon dollars before we can afford a trip up there, though. But anyway, uh... <laughs> anyway. Uh... It'll be fine. <laughs> Huge thank you to our patrons this week for selecting our topic. And thank you to our friends over at Science X Network and NASA for our news story this week. If you want to follow along, you can join me on Office Hours every Monday where I find these news stories. And we do post the links to all the original articles on our weekly roundups in our blog. You can also join us on our Slack or Discord for more discussion on these stories. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back to see what's going on in the Human Factors community right after this. Human Factors Cast brings you the best in Human Factors news, interviews, conference coverage, and overall fun conversations into each and every episode we produce. But we can't do it without you. The Human Factors Cast Network is 100% listener supported. All the funds that go into running the show come from our listeners. Our patrons are our priority, and we want to ensure we're giving back to you for supporting us. Pledges start at just $1 per month and include rewards like access to our weekly Q&As with the hosts, personalized professional reviews, and Human Factors Minute, a Patreon-only weekly podcast where the hosts break down unique, obscure, and interesting Human Factors topics in just one minute. Patreon rewards are always evolving, so stop by patreon.com slash humanfactorscast to see what support level may be right for you. 
Thank you. And remember, it depends. Yes, huge thank you, as always, for paving our way to the International Space Station, buying us a ticket there, especially our honorary Human Factors cast staff, uh, patrons Michelle Tripp. Uh, patrons like you keep the show running. Thank you all so much for your continued support. If you want to become a patron, that's easy for you to do. Uh, it's it's only a couple bucks if you want to get Human Factors Minute. You can donate as little as a dollar and as much as $300 if that's something that you want to do. Anyway, with the whole Twitch leak earlier this week, I thought it'd be a good time to reveal how much we make. It's not much. It's like $59 a month. So, you know, we're not making thousands of dollars like some of those streamers are. Uh, so with that... Um, you know, that money all gets fed back into the show. and We don't make a cent off of it. Uh, I think we're still in the hole. Anyway, I think it's time for us to switch gears and get into this next part of the show. It came from. It came from. Yes, it came from. This week it's all Reddit. This is the part of the show where we search all over the internet to bring you topics that the community is talking about. If you find these answers useful, give us a like to help other people find this content. We got three tonight. Uh, one from the Human Factors subreddit, one from the HCI subreddit, and one from the User Experience subreddit. So we're getting from multiple communities this week. Uh, this first one here is going to be from Dicons on the HCI subreddit. This is how to put school company HCI projects in LinkedIn. They go on to write, hello, I am currently an HCI master's program, and we have been working with two major companies in one of my classes. I would like a way to include this in LinkedIn somehow, or by extension portfolio, that's me uh, expanding on that. Is there any way to do this, uh, or is this not good practice? I'm thinking of adding it under projects. Please let me know. Barry, have you dealt with this before? Um. So yes and no. The I've when I've done um, a project for, as part of my degree, then yes, I had that was part of um, you know I, I had an external sponsor who who wanted to play with that, um, and so we could put that on my LinkedIn. There's a, there's a couple of things to look at. If it was just a just a straight school project that everybody else is doing um, in your class and nothing truly makes it unique, I would suggest probably not. Um, you want to stay away from that. However, this has got um, an, an external um, a company involved so they, there's an element of they wouldn't be doing that if there wasn't some sort of requirement around it um, and so yeah put it in there on, as a project try not don't disguise it to try not to make it more than what it is so highlight that it's a it's a joint school company project um, but also highlight in there as well why you think it's it's different why what you've done is a bit more and is is worthy the, the reason for doing that, I think, is uh, particularly you probably won't have many other uh, projects or um, uh, you know examples of your work under your belt at this point. And one of the things that a lot of companies are always crying out for, and it seems to be a, a classic, and it, it is a bit irritating if I'm honest, where they want people who just come straight out of university, but we want to have loads of experience. Ten years experience. That. Yes. Um, but also we want to pay you for, like you're still an undergraduate. So... If you've got experiences like this that have, have a certain amount of validity, yes, put them into into LinkedIn. Um, put them under the projects piece, under the project segment, and maybe even highlight them under the under some of your career highlights. Um, what do you think, Nick? Yeah, this one. There's there's a couple uh, nuanced things here that I think are important to discuss. Right? There's this person asks if it's a good practice. I think it can be. The thing I would caution against is if you've signed an NDA that says you cannot talk about this information, you're going to have to disguise that pretty good. 
uh, I would still say that you've partnered with that company to say that you have that experience, but trying to dance around a specific product that you might not be able to talk about until it's public is going to be difficult. And so there's a whole skill involved with that. And I think there's plenty of resources out there for how to deal with a portfolio that you can't necessarily share, like working with, you know, in, in a classified domain or working under NDA, there's resources out there. So that's one consideration. Another consideration too is be sure to be clear about what your responsibility on this project was. Chances are, if it is um, sort of for a class, there's going to be a lot of people with their hands on this. And so the uh, what what was your contribution to it might get masked by that. And so be prepared to speak about your contribution when you talk about this work in an interview or on your portfolio. And I think that is a large part of it. Uh, in terms of what you share, I would say document everything. Maybe don't share everything. Document everything that you do work on projects with, even if it is just a low-level uh, you know, classroom assignment, right? If it's, I don't know, uh, a task analysis on something, document that. I wouldn't share like a task analysis project on LinkedIn as a professional thing. But it's a skill set that you have and you've documented it and you can talk about it in an interview or, uh, you know, in a, in a situation where you need to prove your knowledge on something. And, and just having that repository of skills is always something that I recommend. Like I, for example, I still have when I was in my undergrad, I I worked with ketamine and, and rodents. And so I still have that, you know, kind of in my back pocket. And if, if that ever comes up, I have that skill set and I know I do. I can talk about it. Uh, but it's not something that I publicize, right? It's unless it's in the context of right now. Uh, so, so document everything because you never know when those skills will come in handy that you want to put on a resume or something like that. Uh, any closing thoughts on this one, Barry? Yeah, I think just to follow up what you said there, it, uh, we more when people are lo looking at this sort of thing on LinkedIn, we're more interested in in the how, not the what. So, you know. I work a lot in defense and it, it, it's a problem I have now. What can I put on my website that, um, that we can do, but it's more about the skills and the, the, the technologies that we've, that you can use and apply, um, is the key thing really that you want, that you want to get out there. And I did think we'd be talking about ketamine tonight. I, that, <laughs> that, that, that's, that's brought me out of different places. <laughs> there we go. All right. So let's get into this next one here. This one's exciting. And this one actually comes from the human factors subreddit. I think this is a, Really interesting point of discussion. This is contract versus permanent positions. They write, hello, I'm a recent graduate with a human factors master's and a bachelor in bachelor's in psychology with a research focus. I've completed an internship in medical device consulting, have TA'd graduate courses in human factors, uh, and been a research assistant as well. I've been applying to jobs broadly. I recently... Uh, went and applied to UX research research position that was advertised by a prominent laboratory equipment company in the Northeast USA. This was labeled as a permanent full-time position with benefits, 80K salary. Luckily, I was called for interviews. I went through four rounds of interviews with the company and received positive feedback at each gate. I was asked to meet with the team today to discuss the opportunity available. So I believed I was about to enter uh, offer negotiations with the employer. However, upon entering the meetings, I was told that I was a star applicant, interviewed well, and they wanted me on the team with one catch. The position I applied for 
was now to be filled internally, and I would be offered a contract position until December 31st. And right now, as of this recording, it's October 7th, with no guarantee of permanent employment beyond that. Has anyone experienced this in the job search? Uh, is that uh, is it that I did not perform well in the interviews despite the good feedback? If they wanted to hire internally, why post the job to external job sites and have me go through interview process only to revoke the position? I don't know what to think. Like I said, I'm a recent grad, so I'm not sure if this is common practice or alludes to some red flags of this employer. I'd love any insight you may have. Thank you. This one's a long one. Barry, I want to get your thoughts on this. So there's a couple things here, right? There's uh, they, they were a star interviewee. They were offered the position and then they rescinded it because they or maybe didn't rescind it, but they rescinded the position because they filled it internally. Uh, and then let's talk about contract versus permanent positions. I think there's a couple of things there. Yeah. So the the whole position being filled by, filled internally, that just screams internal company politics. I, I wouldn't take that personally if I was you. That is stuff that happens, I think, fairly regularly. It is easier to hire or it is more beneficial to the company to hire internally. And there might just be some HR drive or there might be some senior decision that, that has made that happen. The fact that they've had um, really good feedback all the way through and they still want to go with them and have a contract position until December 31st. Um, that's kind of what they do with that is kind of up to them. I've been in that position myself and, um, you know, I sort of did it and I, I turned it down and I said, if you want me, you want me. Um, maybe I was arrogant and young and carefree. Um, but if it's a job that you that you really, really like, then actually, you know, if, if like I say, it's, it's, it's all, uh, October now, couple of months worth of work to show where you know that could almost be as good as um you were them anyway it could give you that that experience in the grand scheme of things no job even with a permanent contract um no job is worth more than um, a month's notice so you know there is that sort of element around it um so i wouldn't take it necessarily too personally and i would leave it really much down to you would you do you want to spend two months doing a job that might not lead anywhere else but he could give you a couple of months worth of um, salary and some more experiences to take you onto onto that next role. Um, so that that's kind of my thoughts around that. The difference between contract and permanent positions, and I think this has slightly different connotations around the world as well. So I've done contract roles, I've done um, and I've had permanent roles as well. And certainly in the UK, having the the permanent positions, it's great if you want stability. Um, if you want things like your, your holiday, your sick pay, all that sort of stuff, then um, then that's that's great. Um, permanent positions are really good, and they give you that feeling of um, of longevity. Whereas contract positions, if you if you can be more um, more mobile, if you're wanting to try out different co uh, companies, try and work with different projects on a wide variety of projects, actually contracts can be really good. Um, and they also give you an ability to go and try something and walk away with no, with, with much lesser hard feelings because contractors are slightly more easy come, easy go. Um, in the UK, we are going through this thing called, um, which everybody will love if you're in the UK, called IR35, which means that the ability to get contract positions just to do the man, manpower type roles is much harder. Um, so they, that, that is going to become much rarer in the UK. But how does it work over in the US? Is it any different? Uh, a little bit. Let's let's break this down. So uh, I I agree with mostly what you said, um, and I think let's let's talk about this piece by piece, right? So so there's the you you were a star interviewer, and they still offered you a position, and it's 
for a couple months. And uh, I think, Barry, you actually even changed my mind on on approaching this because you're right. If this person is just out of college, it's it's a it's a great thing to get into, um, at least to start building that portfolio and 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 getting into industry, getting your hands dirty. They didn't necessarily say that it would be a continued position, but if you are looking for jobs, you could still look for jobs on top of doing work and getting experience. And I know that's a lot of work, but if you are just out of school, chances are you're young, not necessarily. Chances are you're early in your career, and so you're willing to take more risk. And just because you take the job with one company doesn't mean that you can't keep looking. And so I think that's that's a good way to think about it, right? You're, you're getting your hands dirty, you're getting experience, and you're still looking for more. And approaching it from that way is something that I wouldn't have recommended before hearing Barry talk. So thank you. <laughs> I would have been like, oh, if you don't have time for me, then don't, you know, is, is it worth it? No. Uh, but I think you've changed my mind on that. So let's talk about contracted versus permanent positions. Uh, there's a couple ways this works in the US. You have contracts that hire uh, individual contractors. You have contracts that hire companies that have people at them, and then you have sort of these permanent positions. And so uh, when you think about you as kind of a lone uh, freelance contractor, this is the most scary you can get, right? It's There's not that stability. But like Barry was mentioning, there is a lot of variety. Uh, and, and you could jump from one project to another, sort of build up your experience. And there's sort of the middle step where if you work at a contracting agency or a human factors agency that accepts a bunch of different contracts, you can jump from project to project and chances are they'll have something lined up for you that matches your skill set and experience that you can then, um, you know, you'll still bounce from contract to contract, but it's kind of like the middle ground of getting that, uh, you know, the benefits, 401k, all that stuff uh, at, a, at a company. It's still a little scary, though, because your business is still driven by your work. Uh, not like it's not anywhere, but you know, there's a little bit more risk involved than if you were to have a permanent position with like a big tech company that has all these infinite resources that they can keep paying people to, you know, come on. Anyway, so so that I think is a safe middle ground. And then you have sort of the permanent positions where you're a very specialized role at a, at a company and you're working on the same product for a very long time. It does offer that longevity. and um, I think it really depends on where you're at in your career. I would say, you know, for early career professionals, I'd almost recommend going to a, a human factors or design agency that accepts a lot of different contracts, getting your experience with many different types of projects um, in hopefully different industries. But I, I think just in terms of you know what I would prefer. I I'm at a point in my life now. I have a young child and a wife that depend on me to bring in income, so I'm looking for something a little bit more stable. Uh, and so that contract to contract, you know, I've done both, and and that contract to contract life is a little bit more risky. Um, and I think we've actually talked about this on the show before. But I mean, as you build contacts, as you make your network broader, there are going to be more opportunities for you. You know, if if a contract ran out, there are a bunch of people I could reach out to and say, hey, I need work. And chances are they would have something available or they'd make something work because I know people now. Right. And that wouldn't have been the case 10 years ago. So that's something to consider. 
Uh, as you get older, though, you might want to get more in that. Uh, I don't know. It, it does depend, because if you feel like you have more networks and that's something that you enjoy jumping from thing to thing, then you could totally do that. If you feel like you have enough security or, you know, if if um, your spouse is the primary breadwinner or something, however you want to justify it. Right. I think there's uh, it's all a calculation of risk. And that's something that you need to take into account. But I think in this case, you should totally do it. That's. Anything yeah. else? <laughs> yeah, it, it just made, I, I was just listening to the way that you evaluated where you should do contract and I sort of did the other way around because I started off in the big companies and then after I'd had, we'd had a third child and I, I decided to go it alone um, just because I could after a night out at the pub. Um, so yeah, that was interesting. Um, but the, the, the only other small thing nuance with that is, um, I mean, we, we're assuming that this company is, is quite a large company and if and i think that this just the whole premise of it says that it's 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 there's internal politics and all that sort of stuff if it's a very small company trying to play this trick um then walk away um yeah. that is that that they are trying to mess you around and um they they either can't afford to keep you for a at least a six month period or they they don't know quite what they're what they're doing. So if it's a, if it's a very small company trying to play the trick, then that would that would send up alarm bells for me. Yeah, that's a good point. All right, let's get into this last one here. Beginner UX project. This one's by uh, I love Moose on the user experience subreddit. Hi guys, I want to undertake my first project and try to improve my skills throughout the UI and UX process. I want to know if you start a project by thinking of a problem first that needs solving. Or if you just carry out user research on existing products to identify problems. I'm asking because I have my own pain points with certain apps, but I don't know how I would fit the user research around it as the problem would be defined already. Um, in the case that I find my own problems, do I first present my personal pain points in the project and then try to justify it through user research? If not, how would you suggest I go about starting the UX project in this case? So I, I'm, I'm sensing a couple questions here. There's one, how do I approach a project? Um, how do I build my skills? And how do I sell what I've done? Right? I think those are kind of the three major questions here. Barry, take it away. I was kind of hoping you wouldn't do that. Um, it's the, <laughs> this is an interesting one, isn't it? Because I interpret this as they are trying to do, you know develop their own skills and they want to be able to have a project and therefore to use as a, almost a showcase so that, that, that they can do their skills. Um, so fundamentally, you go with what you know. If you know that there is, so there's two things you can do. You can either start a project from scratch. And so that would be the equivalent of a, of a client walking in or a customer walking in and saying, I need one of these. I don't know quite what it is, um, but I, I need I need this piece of this app or this something that does X. And so then you're going to go and do that um, that research, aren't you, into right, um, the exploration with it with the client. And if you think, you know, effectively you're the client at that point, you know, start sketching out, you know, what what the what, what they're trying to achieve, what the requirements are, et cetera, et cetera. If you want to do something so that that is showing you how you would um, launch a project, how you take something from scratch and develop something from um, from nothing all the way all the way through to all, all the way through to an app or uh, a design for an app. The other part of what you're, of what's been highlighted is how do you um, troubleshoot um, an app um, or a, whatever it is? I'm, I'll say it's an app in this case. And so, how do you evaluate what is already there? How do you get the um, client feedback? Sorry, the user feedback into what other people's pain pain points are? Just because, just because we as operators, are, just because we as 
um, HFX births see pain points that we would identify doesn't necessarily mean that that, that we're right. Um, I'm normally right, but not all of our, us as HF practitioners are, are right all the time. Um, and so it's it's about so that that's that is a different skill. It's a different ability to be able to go and see what somebody else has produced, break it down into co- like things like cognitive walkthroughs, et cetera, et cetera. Work out what it is that 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 app was there was created to um, created to do, and does it meet that need? And also has the uh, as the focus shifted is is does the app was created to do one thing, but does it now fulfill another function, um, and therefore could be grown in that way? Um, so you but you want to choose projects, you want to choose them sort of things that develop your own skills. So identify a bit of self reflection is needed. So where what it, are you, where are you strong? Where are you weak? Um, what, what do you need practice in doing? Practice the stuff that it's it's easy to go and say, um, actually, I'm very good at this. I'll do another one of these and we'll write that up and look and show how great I am at, say, a task analysis or something like that. Find stuff that you don't like doing. Um, put you if, if it's for your own stuff, make put yourself into an uncomfortable position um, and, and flex those uncomfortable muscles because they will become big and strong in the end. Yeah, let's. I, I want to talk about this because this this is such an interesting question and and something I know a lot of people struggle with, especially as they are starting their careers off and they want to develop things for their portfolio. And I think there's two ways of really approaching how do you select a project for you, like a pet project for you to work on that you can use for your portfolio. And I, I see it two ways, right? There's one, you are embedded into a community already. Like let's say it's for a, a video game or something with a very vocal community, right? I, I'm using video games as an example because those communities typically are very vocal about what they want. And the development teams may already be working on those things, but it's something that you can uh, at least back with data that is a user requested feature, function, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, and so, you know, spending time on subreddits about a specific game and saying, hey, this would be a million times better. Then you go back and you source all those comments and say, here's the problem space. Here's the users that are defining this problem space. Uh, and I'm going to go out and solve it, whether it's a design for product. You know, I wouldn't have access to the source code or anything like that, but you could at least design a solution that would be based on user feedback. And I think that is probably the most sound way of approaching a problem because then you have that user data to back your claim that this thing needs fixing. There's the weaker argument of, I don't like how this functions in this app and therefore I am going to fix it to match my own needs because that's not user driven, that is you driven. And, you know, like Barry said, you can be right, but you don't have that data to back it up. And especially if you're earlier on in your career, you might want to have uh, that that user data to say, look, I went out to the community to see what was going on with this thing. There was a problem that needed solving, and I solved it. That's kind of the approach that I would take. If there's you know a product that you're passionate about, browse the forums, browse whatever, because there's probably someone complaining about something. And uh, sometimes even forums will have uh, you know these these uh, help tickets that say. I want this feature or feature requests. And a lot of times they'll be voted on. And so you can see how many people want that thing. And that's that's a great starting point for projects, um, exploring those products, right? So like, I think Discord even has them, right? You, you can have like, I want this integration with this tool. What does that look like? Well, you can go out and solve it. 
uh, or at least what it might look like final product. So I think that's a good way of approaching it. Um, I'm, I'm, and then, and then talking about your work is a whole separate thing that we've touched on a million times. I don't, I think that's a separate question. I don't know. Anything else to add to this one? Yeah, ju just processes. Um, it's not, again, kind of touched on, on it earlier. It's not about the output in this case. It's about you you having the skills to be able to go through, um, to go through the right process to, processes to show that you've got the experience and confidence. So make it all about that. Yeah, I agree. Uh, all right, let's get into this last part of the show called One More Thing. It needs no introduction. Uh, it's just where we talk about one more thing. Barry, what's, what's your uh, one more thing this week? Well, last week I had a limb chopped off. Oh, it felt oh, no. like I had a limb chopped off. Wait, it's when um, WhatsApp and Facebook and LinkedIn and um, Messenger all went down. And it was really weird because it was the first time I've been away um, away on business in a hotel, um, you know, since since the since the pandemic and I was going to a new client site and all this sort of stuff. And I was very excited and um, chatting to my better half and that. And then suddenly everything started to go down. It was really interesting. Um, a thought from that perspective, but it's a lot of people, a lot of companies in particular have been using WhatsApp as a primary means of communication. And the amount of in the UK, we had the uh, uh, practitioners in our national health service and things said, I can't talk to the rest of our teams because WhatsApp's down. Or they, a lot of companies are not having the redundancy in place thing, you know, because there are other um, communication channels out there that, that, that we've come to rely on one group of instant messaging or messaging tools and um, things together um, to make that work. The other interesting bit about it was that uh, when it came to light about what had happened is that Facebook used Facebook for absolutely everything. Mm -hmm. And the um, the way that they had to solve it was literally go and get a guy with a um, uh, an angle grinder because the, 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 should, the, the server rooms were locked because they used Facebook to lock the doors and do all that sort of thing. And so they ended up having to use an angle grinder to get in to be able to re to reset everything. Um, yeah, so it, a, a lot of people had a lot of pain and, and felt like they um, they they'd had a part of their consciousness ripped away for a whole was it six or seven hours or whatever it was that it was yeah. there. Yeah, it's 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 interesting how different parts of the world reacted to that because I'd say about half the states were like, oh my gosh, I can't do anything. I can't get, I can't read about the microchips and vaccines um, or anything like that. And, <laughs> and the yeah. other half was like, Oh, Facebook's down. Uh, and yeah. I was definitely in the, Oh, it's down. Okay. <laughs> but I mean, it, it's, it's incredible because you're right. WhatsApp is used uh, worldwide and it's especially used for international communication a lot of the time because there's not uh, any of the like fees associated with using your cell phones or anything like that. So, uh, yeah, it's it's a huge deal, uh, despite me saying, oh, it's down. I didn't even realize. So um, yeah, there's there an interesting other knock on as well was so I use Telegram quite a lot. And um, and obviously then and most people then jumped on Twitter um, and them systems started to quake yeah. because of the increased usage, though Twitter, I think, played an absolute blinder. Um, in some of their social media coverage, because whoever was on their social media desk that night deserves a medal because some of the stuff that they were pumping out and a lot of the other companies were jumping on board as well. Um, so some of the threads that you um, that, that are on there are well worth a um, going back and having a look at because there were some absolute stars. Oh, man. Yeah, it was, it was a crazy week for tech, right? Because that happened, what, Tuesday, Monday? It happened earlier this week. Yeah. And... Tuesday night for us. 
Yeah, it's Tuesday night and and for you and Tuesday morning for us. And then Wednesday you had the big Twitch leak uh that, you know, revealed salaries of all these popular streamers and um huge data compromise. It's it's a pretty big deal. And so like it's been a crazy week in tech. But yes, I agree. The the person who writes the Twitter recaps is uh definitely needs a promotion. I think they've done a great job. <laughs> uh what's your what's your one more thing this week? Yeah, my one more thing is this um it's this little indie television show called uh Squid Game. Uh I don't have you heard of it? I've heard of it. I've watched one episode of it, but it was one <laughs> of those things that um I sort of had it on the background and I think I need to give it some I need to give it some love. I've I need to actually watch it properly and I can't just watch it out of the corner of my eye. So have you have you been watching it? So I finished it. I'll try to avoid uh spoilers best I can. I I won't spoil it. Don't worry. Um if not just skip I had like three minutes or something. Uh, <laughs> I promise I won't spoil it, but you never know. Anyway, so uh, we've been watching this because, um, you know, my wife mentioned it to me and she said it's it, a lot of people have been talking about it. And I I hadn't heard about it, um, probably because I had been like off of my news apps for like a couple days. And apparently it's this big worldwide phenomenon. Uh, everyone's excited about it. Um, and I thought it was OK. And and there's like a lot of hype around it. I thought it was OK. It was it was good. Um and but my my wife had given me the heads up. She said it's like she said it's like a battle royale. And mm-hmm. yeah. that's all I needed to hear for me to tune out immediately or not tune out immediately. I was tuned in, but to shut myself off emotionally from the characters, put it that way, yeah. um, because certain characters die and. Uh, I don't think that's a spoiler. It's revealed in the first episode that a lot of people. (laughs) So so certain people die. And I, I intentionally distanced myself from those characters from, from everyone, because I was like, if I don't, I'm going to be an emotional wreck. And, you know, and sure enough, my wife didn't. And she was an emotional wreck. Oh no. (laughs) Anyway, uh, all that to be a warning. If you watch Squid Game, don't get invested in the characters. Um, I think that will serve your emotion. Or you know what? Do it. I don't know. It, it, emotion is human. So do what do what you what you want. It saved me some some tears, though. I, I will say that. Fair enough. So did did you we? If she was an emotional wreck, did you do the whole comforting thing and make sure she was okay, or did you? Were you more of the I told you so? You shouldn't have got invested. That one. I was. I was more right. gloaty. I was like, you know, yeah. I'm really glad I didn't get emotionally invested. Look at you. You're a mess. Uh, I love my wife. Don't get me wrong. Uh, That's but... not the way to get ahead. You realize that <laughs> it is not. Just some personal advice here. Having you know, for however many years we've been married, I should know that. Um, and I, I found out a while ago that's not the way to get ahead in life. Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> it was it was more of a playful thing. Don't worry. Uh, anyway, I think that's going to be it for today, everyone. If you like this episode, we do invite you to check out our interview with Adam Brawley from HFES 2018, where we talked to him about his Human Factors Prize research on using augmented reality aboard the ISS. Uh, and comment wherever you're listening with what you think of the story this week. For more in-depth discussion, you can join us on our Slack or Discord communities. You can always visit our official website, sign up for our newsletter, stay up to date with all the latest Human Factors news. If you like what you hear, you want to support the show, you can leave us a five-star review, tell your friends about us, or consider supporting us on Patreon, or even Human Factors Minutes, now available everywhere on Spotify. It's, it's kind of out there. Anyway, as always, links to all of our socials on our website are in the description of this episode. I want to thank Mr. Barry Kirby for filling in again. Where can our listeners go and find you if they want to talk about augmented reality? 
You can find me on Twitter, B-A-Z underscore K, or you can find me on the 1202 Human Factors podcast and any podcast directory near you. As for me, I've been your host, Nick Rome. You can find me streaming on Twitch every Monday from 4 to 5 p.m. Pacific uh, for office hours and across social media at Nick underscore Rome. Thanks again for tuning in to Human Factors Cast. Until next time, it It depends. depends. All right. If you are hanging out with us, give us a minute and we will get the post show started. There we go. Got the music going. Mateo says, Squid Game equals gore fest with a twisted tale of morality. I just watched a YouTube recap of the season. Back to the space Lego for me. Good job, guys. Thank you, Mateo. Really appreciate you. You know, the um, I'm really jealous of that of that um, of that space Lego. I um, yeah, I, I want one of them. Barry, you said you wanted to talk about that. I guess we could talk about it, but I'd, I'd rather Mateo here. But that's okay. We can we can talk about the space Lego. Uh, are you a big Lego fan? Um, yeah, I can be. Um, I certainly was as a kid. Um, but I, I now want to get some, you know, when you just want to get your teeth stuck into a large Lego project um, and yeah. do a bit of building. I, I quite, I want to get some of the, some of the, the, the big projects. So when I saw um, Mateo's uh, birthday present, I, I, I had a certain level of jealousy that I think being able to build <laughs> them um, would be, would be pretty awesome. Um, Look, see, I, I love Lego. The thing I don't like about Lego, there's two things I don't like about Lego. One, I don't like stepping on Lego. I was uh, say standing, standing on a bit, yeah, that that that's just painful. And and two, I I just never know where to store it. Uh, like you you build it, and then it's like, okay, well, I have to find a place to display this thing. Uh, otherwise, it's like, you know, you you built it, and, and I think there is some fun in the building process, but then once you've built it, it's done. And I, I know there are several like apps or whatever that allow you to sign up for a trade, right? So like you basically trade on your Lego to the next person and somebody else trades you theirs. So that way you can keep building it. You disassemble it. You put all the pieces back to how they were and then you ship it off to the next person. Uh, and all you require is like one set, sort of Lego set that's desired to start. Right. Um, and I, and I think know. this is the, the growing up bit, though, isn't it? Though it depends what you did as a kid, because as a kid, I used to get the get the bit of Lego, I build it into whatever it is, and then it would go into the big box of Lego. Um, oh yeah, and so then you'd build whatever it is you wanted to build, and I would build all sorts of stuff. Whereas now, as, um, as I got accused of being an adult the other day, which was a bit weird, but the um, you know that's when you build something, and you're right, you build it, and you're like, I built this now, I should um, I should show this up. It needs a cabinet, it needs some, it needs a, le- a shelf or a ledge to go on. Um, and so I've got in our office, we've got a, um, um, I've got a, a, a jet, and then we've also got a um, a four by four big truck thing, some uh, which is which is my son's. But I had to build, I had to build it for him, obviously, just in, just just to help. Um, but I've seen a couple of things out that, that have come out at the moment that I, that I quite fancy a, a bit of a play with. Um, it's quite good fun going to the um, Legoland as well, the, um, the the Lego theme park. Oh um, yeah, they're, they're a, a, a great day out as well. Oh yeah, well yeah. So I I lived uh, very close to the one in California for a while, and um, family member worked there for a little bit, and and uh, you know so they'd get us in and. It was just one of those situations where it's like you, you go in and you're like, oh, man, I, I'm glad I didn't pay for this because it is a, it's, it's great for kids. And we didn't have kids at the time. And so it's like 
you know, it, it was one of those things where it's like, oh, this is, this would be so cool with a kid, and it's so not as an adult. <laughs> but uh, I, we, I don't know. I, don't, I might just be the one in Carlsbad. Uh, but like, one of I the best know. things we did for my wife's birthday one year was uh, we went we went to Legoland. We took the kids, but we went to stay in the Legoland hotel. And the whole setup inside it was was just fantastic. And then the kids had to go and search around the room for the for the different packs of Lego and all that sort of stuff. It was um yeah, I'd thoroughly recommend it. It was annoying annoying to a certain extent that they had to be there as well, but you know, um it's uh it, it's good fun. Um, yeah, Mateo, the Lego Technic and Mindstorm, yeah. That's um yeah, I've never done that. I've never done the whole um the whole programming with the Mindstorms bit. Um I do love a bit of Technic. But um, yeah, quite fancy having to go with the programming stuff. So, so when I was a kid, the Technic and Mindstorm, um, I, I remember, was just taking off as I was kind of in that age group where like uh, it would be of interest, you know. And and I, it was just right around the time where schools were starting to form these Lego Mindstorm Technic groups, and I just kind of missed it by a little bit. And I really wish I hadn't. You know, I had pieces and i remember distinctly like uh making things with a motorized lego mm. bit you know like a motorized gear and and that was a ton of fun but if i had sort of uh, a class or resources available to me i could have made so many cooler things uh and may have actually gone the engineering route instead of the psychology route to get to human factors <laughs> yes uh that's definitely the um the other thing i like so uh, really good friend of mine he's he likes his lego he likes his star wars lego and he's oh, literally yes. got a room in his house dedicated to star wars lego and uh yeah so he, he he does take get that little medal for just going the extra mile with it yeah i mean uh so in my mid-20s is when uh I, I bought a bunch of star wars lego sets and that's what i was talking about is like i have nowhere to display all these yes yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so i was like you know bouncing between my my parents house and grad school and then uh <laughs> You know, eventually they all ended up in a tub, and I was like, "Okay, well, I mean, they're I guess they're there, and I could rebuild them if I want." But now they're, they're still in that. I still have that tub, and ultimately, what I decided is that they're going to get disassembled and decommissioned, and they'll be my son's toys here in a couple years. Yes. And That's a great I tub, think, yeah. I think that is better than displaying them on the shelf personally. Uh, and and. Uh, it, t- it took a lot for me to get to that point. It was a journey. <laughs> I was going to say it's it's a very emotional and uh, personal journey that you've been on to get to to get to that decision. Um, it's it's I, why I wasn't emotionally invested in Squid Game is because uh, my emotions were burnt <laughs> out by. Uh... See, my, my my parents ruined my childhood by. Um, I I said I had all this Lego and stuff, and then I was like, oh, oh no. I've now got children, and they must have kept all that Lego because it was obviously worth a lot of money because it was like boxes of the stuff, and they'd, they'd sold it on a local car boot sale. Oh no! Um, I said, "Oh, can I have the Lego to give, give, give to my uh, give to my kids?" And they're like, "Well, no." Well, this week, I was like, oh, "You just ruined my life." See, and- we, we we had something very similar happen to us. Although it was, um, you know, we we moved uh, across country this way, and so uh, we stopped by my parents' house right before we moved, and I was looking at all through my childhood toys and everything. <laughs> and uh, I was like, oh, man, it'd be great to have this. And we, I found this big tub of Legos. And I was like, oh, man, that'd be so cool to have. But I was really getting concerned with how much we were putting into the truck and whether or not we'd have space. <laughs> and so I ultimately made the decision to leave it. And uh, 
I mean, it's a good thing. I, like we had some room left, but it's just one more box. <laughs> <I don't know>. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so much stuff already. Uh, anyway, uh, speaking of Lego, um, the uh, Bob from I Like to Make Stuff he did a he did a video today on on Lego um, on a uh, created a little uh, a little table. So with all these compartments that you can store Lego in, it's it's really a great design. Oh, cool. Um, like, yeah. like a maker table, effectively. Sorry, say again? Well, like a maker table, I guess. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was, it was, um, it was, it's basically a table. It's like a workspace table. And yeah. he has this really cool, like, you know, he, he built in a little uh, side panel so that way you can kind of sweep the Lego off and it falls through these, um, uh, filters of, of varying sizes so it kind of filters the lego by size and you just twist it and it goes down into the bucket and you put another bucket down you twist the next layer it goes down and uh it's, it's pretty cool pretty cool design um yeah i like to make stuff on on youtube he uh did a great job with that and i think you know it could be used for anything right electronics yeah, yeah. table or or whatever which a uh, workspace table which um with all those bins i think is is uh really the key the storage aspect of it is is interesting to me um because i save everything from uh i i i've talked to blake about this i save trash um because it <laughs> it's well i'm not a hoarder let me put it that way i i don't save all trash i save trash that looks interesting and that i feel like i could put on projects like uh what do i have that i can show you so um here well so yeah this yeah here i'll show you i'll show you this one so this here is a yeah. uh this is a, a bearing from something uh and this is an old <laughs> hard drive a yeah. whole old, old hard drive motor but you know together yeah. it looks like a star wars panel it does um, yeah. so you know i just save trash like that uh and then there's you know up in the top left there you can see that that i'm pointing to is a yeah. a simply juice lid with a um with an old light uh uh, plug in it and it looks like an interface and so you know it's just nice saving trash no i'm I'm, I'm loath to throw things away that they might be useful so you know like cables and stuff like that you know because just when you throw a certain set of cables or something like that away then it will be the time that you're like i need you know you just get taken away in the trash and then you realize that you do actually need it um so yeah, I, I completely get that, but I'm not I'm not as creative as you are. Though my son, my son would like a lot of that. He's getting very much into the um, into the cosplay. Oh, okay, yeah. He's very much into making not only his costumes and stuff, which he does um, from scratch. Um, so he's very much into building, his, uh, making these like sort of Spider Man and Red Hood and all that sort of stuff. Um, <laughs> but he'll actually okay part of a box just fell over there we go um but make um like all of all of the, like the the guns and stuff that go with it out of everyday things that he's got so um yes he, he he's very much in a similar position yeah it, it reminds me of like saving the cardboard tube and the you know cardboard tube from the toilet paper yeah. and the cardboard from a box and like slapping it together for a school project when you were uh, in elementary school, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, we do we because we have like sort of fancy dress parties as well. So um, we, we sort of keep that sort of stuff because that's always useful, right? Um, so we, we'll keep all that sort of stuff. So when when we decide what the what the theme of the next party is going to be, 
Um, so we're doing it at the moment because we, we, we've got Halloween coming up, and right. so we um, and so we we started to put put things together for that. So um, keep us entertained. Yeah, trash man, trash. Well, the, the other thing I like to do. So, um, do you ever have you ever watched the uh, Forge with Fire or Forged ah. in Fire? The, the, where they make swords and knives and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, it is. It is I, I I'm completely addicted to that program. And um, seeing that, seeing they make you know when they come and sort of say right, you just build a knife, fine, okay, they build a knife. But when they come and say right, you've got all this this bit of junk or whatever it is, and you've got to build you've got to build an amazing knife out of something that was uh, that you've got to take to bits and like work out what what and all that sort of stuff that's that's and build handles out of old um old bits of leather and stuff um but i think i think that's quite good quite good fun to watch yeah there was an old youtube channel uh i think it was called like master of arms or master at arms or something like that where they they built like uh um they built well-known weapons that you might find you oh, know on, on like a stuff, yeah. television show it looks like uh it looks like they got picked up by discovery they used to be a youtube channel i think it like they got picked up by uh discovery okay. looks like um but they're great they they do a great job i mean it's all from scratch so or from metal anyway uh and then there's a guy who like on youtube he takes uh like recycled cans and he makes coins and just random casts Oh, on cool. uh you know out of out of uh, recycled metal um but mateo suggesting we go to the um the, the the knife association show in perth next year oh that'll that'll put me on a list uh <laughs> 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 so, i'm tempted to see what that looks like because that could be quite that could be quite good fun yeah so. See, okay, so so restream is interesting about the interface because if you hover over something somebody said, it, it gives you like the show option, which then uh, brings up that message mm -hmm. to show everybody. Uh, and so if somebody shares a link, you can't click on it, which is a bummer. Uh, and there's got to be a way to like, I don't know, I feel like that'd be a great way to, there's a problem space. That's something That's that I'm coming up with right now. Uh, yeah. but I don't know if restream users actually I'm curious we should probably check um would you be down for like a like a quick exercise of of uh you know it doesn't have to be anything fancy just like a quick little check on on uh like what's a program you enjoy using right we both use discord we could do discord forms um, yeah that's true I'm I'm uh so this is for anyone who uh to to answer that um that that it came from that we had earlier it was about finding a problem to work on uh discord suggestions uh feature request feedback yeah let's try that so there's uh the support discord so so first off there's where do you find this stuff um and I know there's a place. Yeah, here you go. So so let's check this out, right? So uh, let me share my screen with you all. I'll minimize us down there in that corner, and I'll actually get rid of this so you can see my mug. Uh, all right, so so you can actually look at these by category, right? This is the Discord support site. 
Um, And so you could almost check out any support site that you'd want. And for any topic, you can almost find uh, some interesting requests or feature requests or something like that, right? So take your pick, whatever interests you, right? So what interests you? Barry, let's let's take a look at this. Um, voice and video. Voice and video. Let's look at that. Now, this is normally sorted by new, but you can sort by votes. And this is what I'm talking about. This is data-driven uh, requests from users. Yeah. So right here, you can see the top request is um, they want screen share sound support for Linux. So as you're on Discord and you're sharing your screen... There's no sound there. And I think that's probably a bug. Uh, and there's not much to work off of there. But um, a lot of times, if you were to click on one of these, right? Here's the second one, 459 votes. You can click on this. You can say, it, you can see this one here, stage channels, video chat, and screen sharing. At this very moment, channels seem already very restricted as I cannot share my screen. It would open the use of stage channels a lot more and make them versatile. So I don't know exactly what that means yet. You know, you could read through some of the comments yeah, uh, and see how many people agree with it. You have all this data right here. That's what I'm talking about, the data for trying to find problems. Hide self-view and video call. Here's a really simple use case that you could look. Hide self-view and video call. So I'm assuming that as you're on a call with somebody else, you want to hide what you look like uh, from yourself. And so this is something that has a very clearly defined problem you can very clearly come up with an example of what this might look like in the implementation um you can read here for so for example when i'm in a video call and i have the video feed on pop-up mode i'd like to be able to see the person's feed without seeing my own camera feed in the corner i want to hide my camera feed from myself without disabling my camera so far i found no way to actually hide my own camera you can see this is the third most requested feature on discord site so what this might look like is as you're in a Discord call, maybe just putting like a little uh, eyeball icon in the bottom right hand corner that shows or hides or like a little minimize or something that shows or hides your uh, little self feed. And there you go. That's a solution right there. We've just kind of walked through it. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Isn't it? Because the this is such a clever move now that is so common through large um, things where they can basically build their own backlog just without putting any effort in because yeah. everybody, you know, they, with the simple voting system, then we go and do all that hard work for them and they go, well, we need to improve it, right? To pick, pick the top five, away you go, two weeks. Let's see see where, see where we are in two weeks. Um, yeah, it so- really is clever, right? If you think about it, each one of these is probably a design team yeah. at, at Discord. And so they can go, okay, what's our roadmap look like? Well, Let's, I mean, there's some things that obviously will come down from management, but then there's other things where you, if you have that bandwidth, you can go, okay, well, let's look at text chat. What's going on here? There's a lot of posts there. Uh, you know, number of votes. What's the top vote here? 13,000. Okay, so these are completed. And then you can, I'm sure, filter by uh, maybe no status. That might be a good way to filter on these. Yeah. And there you go. Be invisible on one server, but online in another. What does that interface look like? That's something that you can work on in a project, in a portfolio. 
This is a really cool example, and I wish I would have thought about this when I was in grad school because this would have given me so many ideas. Because again, you can show you show yourself going through that problem, and it's a live problem, and there's nothing to stop you. You know, you do it. You you build your portfolio, blah blah blah. But then you can send it to Discord as well. Right. And, hey, hey, uh, here's I've, I've just done this for you. Yeah, comment back on it. Say, hey, look, this is this is potentially one uh, design example of what this might look like, you know, and, and say, I've done the work for you. And yeah, you can. And, and if they implement it, you can kind of claim credit for it. Right. These are unanswered as of now. And then and and so, ago, so the, they haven't sold them yet. Yeah, that means they haven't even touched it. This is three years ago. And so here you go. Here's the problem. Uh, I've I've linked you to my design for what this could pot potentially look like. And, um, you know, if it has enough votes, you can even uh, sort that, you know? I, I think this is such a cool way. I've never, I've never actually dug into this before, but you're absolutely right. It, it, well, from both sides of the fence, actually, um, as a... Um, from a from a development team perspective, then actually the 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 way that you can utilize that data is is, is quite mad. Yeah, um, it really is. I like that. So, anyway, there there's your free tip for the night. I just given you uh, a ton to work with. <laughs> yes, we need to go back and link it back in that in that Reddit chat to say do this. There you go. Yeah. Um, knock yourself out. And yeah. And as as a way of thanks, then the Patreon is is just over there. Yeah, exactly, exactly. If you'd like to thank us or tip us, <laughs> yeah, I this is this is actually really incredible. And I, I, you know, when you have those moments where you feel like you're brilliant, <laughs> you yeah. go, well, again, you you look at that status <laughs> setting, and that's basically just their Kanban board. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. And I'm so sure all they're doing is just they, they'll they presumably just have a, a board, a Discord <laughs> board up there that has them all just in nicely listed out on um whatever kanban application you happen to be using um, I'm, yeah i'm positive they have their own but yeah to to especially with programs with a lot of users i'm sure this exists yeah. for facebook i'm sure this exists for other popular programs features google drive is probably you know a feature request form um they probably exist all over and and yeah. like i was saying earlier in reddit communities you usually can sort by top posts and feel like uh you know especially in like the gaming communities where people are like hey this this problem needs to be solved yeah. uh, sometimes it's bugs and sometimes that's outside of the human factors realm but a lot of times you'll have stuff like this that's your role as a human factors user researcher ux designer whatever you want to call it you can come in solve a problem and uh submit it and Man, it's it's such a cool thing to be able to do. Yeah, and I do find that actually, yes, a lot of problems in theory fall outside of the role of um, of human factors. But given what we do and the way that we integrate into, into yeah. projects, I normally find a way. Yeah, <laughs> if, exactly. If I want to be involved, I can find a tenuous link somewhere. So, yeah. Some what, what's that Han Solo line? Sometimes I manage to even impress myself. What's <laughs> <laughs> You have done well. So. <laughs> oh well, I, I I think that's a great place to leave off on. That was a great tip, and I I want to leave it there. Uh, so if yeah, anyone's no, listening or watching, we, we don't we don't need to go down after that. So that, that's yeah, fine. Yeah, if anyone's listening or watching and uses that tip, let me know. I I I mean, let us know. It'd be awesome to you know see what you come up with and um 
Yeah, I, I think that's super cool. J- jump in our Discord and uh, <laughs> and show us. It's uh cool. You know what? I'm gonna make a post on Discord right now about it because uh, it is such a cool, unique thing. Um, so anyway, I'll leave you to do that. I'm gonna go to bed. You go to bed. You enjoy yourself. Thank you so much for staying up again with us uh, tonight. No worries. It's been an absolute pleasure. And um, I shall hopefully see you next time. All right. See you then. Catch you later. Bye. Everyone watching, thanks for hanging out with us. Bye, everybody. Bye.